You stand on the shore of the ocean watching the tide come in. You sense the call of the sea beckoning to take you in further. You step forward little by little not knowing what to expect, but expecting more. You keep going as the ocean calls calls you to enter in to deeper waters. Welcome to the Deeper Waters Podcast. I am Nick Peters, your host, seeking to bring you the very best in Christian scholarship and apologetics. And, well, we've got an interesting show lined up today. Now, it's only going to be an hour today, but a lot of you probably heard the news yesterday about the uh, Department of Justice in form of education for Obama sending out a letter to all the schools about advice on how to deal with a transgender issue. Now, the target was enough to get us riled up, but, oh my gosh, I just got so angry when I saw this. Does he not know what he's doing? But a lot of you might be wondering, how do we talk to this transgender issue? What's even going on? Well, in order to discuss that, I've got... With me today, Walt Heyer. He's an author and public speaker with a passion to help others to regret gender change. Through his website, Sex Change Regret, and his blog, WaltHeyer.com, Heyer raises public awareness about the incidents of regret and the tragic consequences suffered as a result. Heyer's story can be read in novel form in Kid Dakota and The Secret at Grandma's House and his autobiography, A Transgender's Faith. Heyer's other books include Paper Genders and Gender, Lies, and Suicide. So, uh, Walt, welcome to the Deeper Waters podcast. Yeah, thanks, Nick, for having me on today. It's a pleasure. Thanks for coming on. Now, normally at this point I ask someone to just give a little personal introduction to how they got to be doing what they're doing and such. That is a large part of your story. Tell us your story that's so relevant to what we're talking about today. Yeah, I was uh, uh, what would be referred to today as a child transgender. I started uh, cross-dressing at the age of uh, four with the help of my grandmother. So um, my life into that world started rather early. And um, it progressed and became, uh, you know, to the point to where I felt like I was, there was something wrong with me and that I should have been a female instead of a male. One of the things that uh, my grandmother was real clear about was that she appeared to like me a lot more as a a girl than she did as a boy, even to the degree of making me uh, girls' clothes and so forth. So I think what happened uh, to me is that uh, I was getting a lot more attention and a lot more affirmation and a lot more love being a girl than I did being a boy. So I think that reinforced the idea that uh, there was something wrong with me being a, a boy. So uh, that began to uh, work its way into my psyche and my thinking and progressed uh, all the way through my young years into my teens. Um, and by the time I was in my early 20s, uh, I was still battling it. I mean, I was battling the, the desire to, to cross-dress or change genders uh, every single day. And um, it, it was a battle. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I eventually uh, got married. 
um, and um, I had a couple of children, and I was uh, I worked as an associate design engineer on the Apollo space missions, and then became an, an executive with a, a large automobile company. So I was functioning, but uh, I was still struggling during the time I was functioning with these thoughts about what Grandma uh, would, had said to me and, and the seed that uh, Grandma had planted in my head uh, just never seemed to go away. And, and uh, so uh, by the time I was married 17 years, I was struggling so much that I went to a somebody who would be called today would be a transgender-type therapist. He was not a transgender. He, he was an advocate for... Uh, the gender change surgery and hormone therapy, and he himself uh, was the author of the WPATH standards of care that's in place today for the diagnosis and treatment of all transgenders. So he was a very uh, front row guy in this whole movement. His name was Dr. Paul Walker, and uh, he was my doctor. He was the guy that evaluated me and approved me for uh, gender reassignment surgery telling me that uh, the only solution to my gender dysphoria was the hormone therapy and a gender change. Well, I I accepted that but struggled with it for two years and then went back to him two years later and, and he reaffirmed that decision that uh, hormone therapy and a gender reassignment surgery was the only way to get rid of the or resolve the dysphoria that I had uh, in my life. So I told my wife, and then we uh, worked out an arrangement where we got divorced, and um, I began to uh, go on my way, and that was in April uh, 1983, so it was quite a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And and uh, Dr. Biber in Trinidad, Colorado, is the one who performed all of the surgical procedures that made it um, in those days, uh, as it is today, legitimate to uh, have a new assigned birth record. And so um, I lived as Laura Jensen for eight years. Uh, I worked for the federal government at the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation and for the Postal Service and a couple of other jobs as well during that eight-year period. But but once I started to study psychology at the University of Santa Cruz, it became very clear to me that uh, gender dysphoria is not cured, uh, resolved, or should be treated with a surgical procedure that, in fact, gender dysphoria is just a sign of uh, some depression uh, and underlying what I know today, I didn't know then, but I, I have since learned is a group of comorbid disorders that the uh, approving uh, psychologists and psychiatrists who approve the surgeries never actually uh, look into the the deeper comorbid disorders, which are quite a large group of them that some of them we're familiar with. Like Before you go further, I ask you to explain for my audience what you mean by comorbid disorders in case I don't know. Yes. Comorbid disorder means that you've been diagnosed with gender dysphoria, but in reality, the dysphoria is only a symptom of a mental disorder uh, that is actually driving the dysphoria. The the dysphoria by itself is not a mental disorder. Um, 
It's not a psychological disorder. It's not a psychiatric disorder. But it is a symptom, an outward expression of a symptom that uh, you have some underlying uh, psychological or psychiatric disorder. And some of them, and there's more than I'm going to mention today, but some of them are, are separation anxiety, dissociative disorder, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, body dysmorphic disorder, and severe depression. And so what we've, what we've learned, what I've studied and learned over the last 10 years is that um, when I go to, because uh, I was one of those individuals who attempted suicide because the stress of this whole process, and this was after I'd already done the surgery, which is common, Suicide rate before and after surgery is really not all that different. Uh, the reason why people struggle so much uh, with gender dysphoria is because the psych psychologists and psychiatric doctors and approving people do not provide treatment for the comorbid disorders. And if you go to suicide.org, what they say is that suicides are caused, 90% of them are caused by untreated disorders. So what we have is uh, psych a lot of psychological disorders that are not being treated. And we know from research done around the world, it's not Walt Heyer saying this, there's a, a, a preponderance of research done by universities and others around the world that say that between 60 to 70 percent of transgenders are suffering from psychological and psychiatric disorders, uh, but they're not given proper treatment, and that some of them, um, in addition to the 60 to 70 percent of them, some of them are suffering from uh, sexual fetish disorders and other things like autogynephilia, and, and that's a disorder where they actually fall in love with their appearance in a different gender. So mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot, of, um, a lot of misunderstanding about what a transgender is and what a transsexual is and what the treatment should be. I, I don't agree with uh, providing hormone therapy and surgery for them because uh, without treating the underlying comorbid disorders, uh, they're going to keep the suicide rate, which uh, adults 25 and up will attempt suicide at a rate above 40%. And young children ages 10 to 24, it's reported, will attempt suicide at a rate above 50%. So uh, I, I say that those, are, those numbers signify that nearly half of the people who engage in a gender change are not only suffering psychological and psychiatrically, but they're also at huge risk of committing suicide, and we're not really providing treatment for these people who are really suffering. I mean, I, yeah. I don't think we should be pointing a finger at them and, and saying how bad they are. We're, we're mistreating them by not providing treatment for them. Now, i got to ask you something about your story here, because you said you were for eight years Laura Jensen now, a lot of people could go to my blog and look at the picture of Vasey and hear your voice saying, that doesn't sound or look like a Laura Jensen. 
to me. So what happened? Well, you know, you learn to cast your voice. Um, you know, it just takes some time, and you learn to cast your voice so it sounds uh, very feminine. Mm-hmm. And and uh, so that's not that's not a real difficult thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you just learn to do it, and it, it takes uh, usually several months to adapt to that. And uh, but it's just today I'm back to reality, and mm-hmm. which is a lot more comforting to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, did you have the th- therapy again to go back to being a man? Or oh, absolutely, yeah. Okay. I mean, once I discovered that these disorders existed, I started engaging in therapy on a regular basis, and I actually had two. Uh, therapists that I was working with, uh, each of them knew each other, so we were collaborating on how to walk through this and, and go through what's normally called the detransition, so you're uh, being uh, brought back to the gender that God designed you to be. So uh, that's how I got back, and that took some time. It's not easy work. Did you get back with your wife again? Or? No, she had already remarried. And uh, so uh, I have remarried. I'll be married um, 19 years on the 18th of this month. Congratulations. Now, we're we're going to be six years this July, so we've got some catching up to do here. All right. Now, let's start talking about this issue. Sometimes one of the first things I hear is people are giving the idea of gender is a social construct. Now, the first thing I want to ask is, what do you think is meant by gender, and do you agree with a statement? Well, you, let me be real, real clear about this. They have made the word gender so convoluted and so mixed up, mm-hmm. that, uh, and deliberately so, so that no one can really understand what gender is, unless we go to uh, the science and the and the biological standard and the biblical standard now if we if we use those standards then uh you know they're made up in our uh, chromosomes and and hormones and and they're god given and mm-hmm. god designed now uh, it, on the other side of that fence is that there's been um over the last couple of years there's been a a real hard push to expand uh, gender from male and female to, uh, I think Facebook had 56 or 47 or I don't know. I mean, they've, they have just taken gender and completely destroyed its foundation in an effort to uh, make male and female as a gender actually irrelevant. And when mm-hmm. you realize once they do that, uh, then they can actually destroy the foundation of marriage uh, they can destroy the foundation of man himself uh, and woman who is the only one who can uh, provide birth uh, to an, to another generation. So um, it, they've made a mess of it and I think no matter who you talk to, uh, you're going to have a different point of view. I happen to accept the biblical and biological and scientific point of view uh, because it is uh, objective and testable, and the things that they're talking about gender are subjective, and they don't hold up against any testing. Now, when we talk about subjective, what we're usually talking about is kind of like the ideas that culture has often of how a man and a woman 
should perform in some circumstances, I'm guessing. Like, for instance, I'm very much male, but I don't know hardly anything about cars, and aside from Braves baseball every now and then, I could care less about sports. Yeah. I don't think that I don't think that's how we describe what a male or female is. I mean, right. there's we we have females who are race drivers. So yeah, uh, uh, you know, I again, what you're talking about isn't uh, a testable uh, biological uh, factual basis. All you're talking about is someone has uh, a desire to. Um, Engage in racing or not engage in racing or not be not like sports or, or to yeah. like sports. So that's just yeah. having flexibility. Mm-hmm. Now, when we do talk about is when I when I'm engaging with people, I usually ask them this kind of question. Say, okay, let's suppose you get someone who, for all intents and purposes, is male, and you can reverse this if you want. But they keep telling us that they're really a female, and what I ask them in response to this is. How could you possibly tell that that's a true belief as opposed to a delusion of some kind? I mean, is there any way you could tell that that was ever a true belief? Well, you know, here's what we have today. We, we have given people mm-hmm. the authority to assign a gender to themselves that it is categorically impossible to verify what they're saying to be true. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, so the word delusional uh, is is certainly uh, because people are stuck in a, a world that is actually not a testable truth. They mm-hmm. may believe they may actually believe uh, that they are of a different gender, but then we get back to what I said earlier about uh, the things you find in the research that suggest that 60 to 70 percent of these people who are suffering deeply with this thinking are also suffering from comorbid psychological, psychiatric, or uh, sexual fetish disorder. So uh, we, we, we understand they feel that way, and, and to them it's real, yeah. but, but until such time as they're provided uh, adequate, effective, and sound psychotherapy, um, they cannot actually figure out the fact that they've been uh, living a false uh, thought about who they are. Yeah. Um, we're often told also that really the position you've got isn't really one held by, by leading scientists and psychiatrists and psychologists and such. I mean, are we in part of a minority position? Well, I don't think so. I mean, mm-hmm. when when you consider the transgender population is uh, 0.3 of 1%, mm-hmm. and uh, that's a very, very small percentage of the population, um, I think there is the vast majority of people understand, while they may remain silent uh, about it, the vast majority of people understand that the people somehow are suffering from some um, undiscovered, un- undiagnosed disorder, and that what we know is that when people do change genders or begin the process of changing genders, uh, it's it's ineffective in terms of keeping them happy, or mm-hmm. they wouldn't be attempting suicide at a 40 to 50 percent rate. 
But what about people, I mean, that's fine for a man on the street, but what about the academy? I mean, it does, is it true that most people in the academy think that transgender is something normal and they need the surgery, or what? Well, well there's a lot of people that uh, do believe that, um, that, you know, people need the surgery and need hormones. But there was also a period of time um, when people thought the world was flat. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I'd like to remind everyone right now, we are listening to, you're listening to the Deeper Wars podcast. I've got Ward Heyer on here. We're talking about transgender issues today and such. If you tune in next week, I'm going to have E. Chadwick Forn here with me. We're going to be talking about his book, The Chosen people looking at how the elect are described in Judaism and Christianity and what that has for us today as Christians. Well, now let's get back to the show. Now, well, when we talk about the whole bathroom issue, I mean, Target came out with this statement about how they're going to allow men and women to use the restroom of their choice and such. I mean, first off, what are your thoughts on this policy? Well, you know, if if I was the CEO of Target, it's not uh, something I would advocate. It's not something I would have the store do. However, I do believe that the store uh, has the right to make that choice, and then uh, the people who patronize the store also have the right not to go into that store. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I believe that you know, people uh, who have a, a corporation or a business mm-hmm. have the right to make that decision, but I also believe that uh, the outcome of whether it's a good idea or not should come from the people who either patronize the place or do not patronize the place. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of people do make the argument, and it, it, it concerns me when it seems to be, this is the only argument that by doing this, we can allow perverts to have free access to the opposite sex because I I think people who struggle with transgender do have some struggles, but I don't think they're necessarily perverts, for instance. And unfortunately, when we say that, people get the idea of we're thinking all transgender people are perverts and may just want to prey on our children and such. But do you think there is some basis for concern that people who aren't transgender would take advantage of it? Yeah, I think it's real important to make a distinction. Yeah. Uh, the people who are suffering psychologically with uh, uh, gender dysphoria or an identity of their gender uh, are really not the people we should be concerned about. But I, when you open the bathrooms up, there are some, some even uh, more seriously... Uh, psychologically troubled people, uh, men primarily, mm-hmm. who will uh, put on a dress, put on lipstick, uh, who are not transgender. They're just mentally ill. They're sick, mm-hmm. and and they're and I want to make it clear: these are not the transgenders, but they are the ones who, because of the law, will take advantage of the transgender open bathroom law. So I think in that regard. It has. It carries a very high risk. I'm not sure in my mind why we are allowing such a small fragment. I mean, when I talk about 0.3% of the population being transgender, transsexual, this group 
that is uh, that we're concerned about entering the bathrooms is even smaller than that. I mean, but they are they can be dangerous. We've already uh, there's already been some reports written about where a lady was uh, raped in a bathroom by someone. So, uh, you know, I think we need to be very concerned about it. But I I do don't want to assign this risk to the transgender itself, I want to assign the risk to the fact that we're opening bathrooms up to anybody who is uh, mentally disabled and would uh, put on a dress just to go uh, do some serious crime to young girls and adult women. Um, And so I I think it's real dangerous. I do. I think uh, we're going to see the results of that over time, but I don't think it's going to be the transgenders that are going to be the ones uh, committing the crimes. Yeah, I mean, my wife and I don't shop at Target anymore, but honestly, if we're out anywhere anymore, and we both have Asperger's and she has PTSD as well, and if she goes to the bathroom, I am standing outside the bathroom and I am watching and I'm waiting. I don't care where it is. If it's a public place, I am watching because nowadays anyone could try anything and I don't want her to be in there and face the trauma of not knowing what to do because someone of the opposite sex is in that bathroom. Right. Now, let's uh, go one step further here. I I assume that you've heard about Obama's announcement yesterday. Yes, I did. Where he's uh, released the thing, for those who don't know about, it's advice to schools about how to handle this issue, you know, kind of like the way that the IRS likes to give you advice on your finances. And he talked about gender identity refers to an individual's internal sense of gender. A person's gender identity may be different from or or the same as a person's sex assigned at birth. When I see that, the phrase sex assigned at birth, it just strikes me as so nonsensical. It's like thinking about there's a doctor who's going to flip a coin and say, heads it's a boy, tails it's a girl, or it just makes an arbitrary decision. Now, usually when a kid's born, you can pretty much tell if they're a boy or a girl. That's right. Yeah, it's not not too difficult, is it? No. First off, what would you say, though, about people who say, well, aren't some people born hermaphrodites and things of that sort? Absolutely. I mean, there are some who are born hermaphrodites, the current term used today for that group of people, which is a very, very, very small percentage of the population, are it, the term actually assigned to them is intersex, and they are actually born with uh, ambiguous genitalia, or they have the genitalia of both genders. But let's be clear, they are not transgenders. Mm-hmm. And they are given a different name apart from transgenders because transgenders do not have any medical, testable, uh, verifiable differences uh, in their biological uh, assigned gender at birth. So this is true for the intersex population, but it's not true for the transgender population. Mm-hmm. Now, here's something that really concerns me because I've printed out this thing and on. Page two of my printout here, it says, under Title IX, there is no medical diagnosis or treatment requirement that students must meet as a prerequisite to being treated consistent with their gender identity. 
which pretty much means I could go into it, if I was a student in school, I could go up and say, hey, I identify as a female, I don't need any proof, I don't need any word from a psychologist or anything like that, I just say it and the school has to comply with what I say, it looks like a coin to this, I mean, am I reading that right? Yeah, you are. Uh, yeah, this is, there's there's a new group of people I, I want your audience to to start getting their head around. We, we, we know we have transgenders, transsexuals, and lesbians, gays, bisexuals. We know that group. That's the LGBT group, right? Mm-hmm. But what this, what Obama has done is allowed a whole new uh, gender development uh, from what I call the gender defiant. They are not transgenders. This is not helping transgenders. There's a whole new crop of young people, and they're primarily being taught in schools, in public schools and other schools, that gender is fluid, that mm-hmm. gender, gender is not affixed at birth. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so Obama's uh, edict, uh, which is actually blackmail because he's saying this is a suggestion, but if you don't do it, we're going to withhold millions of uh, federal funds from you, and you'll have to do it anyway because... It's blackmail. I'm not. I, I, I'm unclear about whether it's really lawful or not. I realize he's flexing his muscle, but I, I would certainly hope that no president um, ever would have uh, that ability or that much power uh, to do. But the the point is that there is a, a group of people today that are called gender fluid, uh, gender. Uh, they want to be able to change genders every hour or mm-hmm. every day or every week. They do not want to see a male, female, or boy or girl uh, label on any bathroom anywhere. So this is what I call, this is my term, gender defiant. They do not want gender specific fixed ideology in our society and that's what Obama really is pushing with this is he's actually giving them freedom to become a non-gender population but what he's doing is he's dragging everybody else into this absolute uh, sewer Mm -hmm. if I can say sewer when it has to do with bathrooms Uh, uh, so you know Obama's dragging the entire country down this path uh, that allows people who hate gender specificity whether it be male or female uh, and you, we need to understand that transgenders transsexuals actually are out trying to assign themselves to a gender I mean they are not the ones who are gender defiant they just want to change their gender but what I'm talking about is a group that is not transgender that is totally apart from the LGBT and they are the, a gender defiant population who do not want anyone to have a fixed gender identity. Now, when we talk about restrooms with talking, by the way, I like your use of the term edict. I thought that was really good to describe what happened. This uh, thing, it goes beyond it. And people think I might be misreading this. No, I am not. You can read this all online yourself. But when it talks about the facilities that won't be sex segregated in the same case, it's not just restrooms, it's locker rooms as well. Right. And, you know, that to me opens up a whole new can of worms entirely because without any identification, I mean, 
I'm sure this is going to come as a shock to many of my listeners, but young men tend to like looking at naked women. I mean, I, I know that's a shock to a lot of you out there. It's never occurred to you. And by the way, it's the same with older men, too. And I can just imagine a group of guys making a, a dare to someone and say, hey, I dare you to go in and check for girls out there. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, just tell them you're a girl and you have to go in. I, mean, I can see that happening very easily. No, absolutely. I mean, you know, this, this kind of madness uh, mm -hmm. that Obama is stirring up, I mean, he's setting off uh, really a hand grenade in our public schools. I, I think uh, if, if the people have the ability... Uh, in my view, it would be great to have it. If we're talking about a boycott with Target, what we should really do is we should have, uh, when it comes to school opening up next year, that all the people who oppose this do not send your kids to public schools, mm -hmm. period. Right. And just start homeschooling or go to private school. Find a different way to teach your children because the public schools are no longer teaching uh, reading, writing, and arithmetic, or science. What mm. they're doing is teaching the LGBT gender uh, stereotypical stuff, and they're trying to force it down everybody else's throat. So maybe it's time that maybe the public schools have really worn themselves out. I think Obama really overstepped uh, this, thinking that he was going to have the power to make it happen. But people have the power to not send their kids to school as well. You know. It's so ironic. I was just about to ask after that question. And, you know, there's a lot of talk on Facebook, I see, about people are saying that we should probably remove our kids from the public school system. Do you think we should do that? And lo and behold, it looks like you've already answered that question for me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I've been talking about this with groups around the country who write me, and they say, well, what do we do? I said, don't, put, don't send your kid to school. <laughs> Keep in mind that the schools get about $25 a day or some such number, depending on where they are per kid for each day they're in school. So if several million children do not show up at school, if the schools are going to suffer. If, if Obama wants to try to blackmail the schools, maybe it's time that uh, we pulled a little switch on Obama and didn't send the kids to school and let the schools, the public schools, suffer deeply financially because they would not be getting the funds they need to operate the schools. The, the schools really need to go back to the 50s. Sorry for those people who find that repugnant and unpleasant. Uh, we need to get back to where the schools uh, are actually schools teaching and, and not teaching uh, I, I, the LGBT and um, all these different groups who are really sexual activists uh, given power by Obama. Uh, and, and, you know, all that stuff's fine outside the school system if people want that, but it should not be an indoctrination into our young people's minds as it was. And, and that's why I had to struggle the rest of my life with the gender dysphoria because my grandmother taught me this nonsense. Mm -hmm. And it is total nonsense. I mean, what, what happens is by introducing this stuff is that we are telling the children that there's something wrong with you or that you can change it. Uh, all that stuff is total craziness. It, it, it's psychologically destructive. And in 25 years from now, maybe 30 years, maybe 20 years from now, we are going to see devastating results 
as a result of this. But then the federal government, you know, they like to, they're so codependent that they like to make people dependent on the government. So they'll be there to change whatever they need to change to pick up the pieces from all the lives they broke and tore apart as a result of this uh, craziness that Obama put forth in his edict to the schools, the blackmail move that he made. Now, I'd like to remind everyone right now, you're listening to the Deeper Barters podcast. I'm Nick Peters, your host, and everything we do here is listener-supported. And I encourage you to go to the to um to my website at deeperwaters.ddns.net, and you can find a link there. So it's help support for work of Deeper Waters Christian Ministries. And there's a link in there. When you click it, it takes you to a ministry of Risen Jesus of Mike and Debbie Lacona. Have you gone to the right place? Yes, you have. Those are my in-laws. You make a donation, and then you contact me or Allie, my wife, or Mike or Debbie, his wife, and say, hey, I made a donation. I want to go to Nick Peters. I want to go to Deeper Waters. It will be tax deductible. And if you can be a monthly donor, that works even better for us. And you are the bread and butter of what we do. And you can also buy some ebooks on Amazon. Some I've co-written, such as a debate I had with an atheist, God and Natural Disasters. And then books like Defining Inerrancy or Groundless. And then one that I've written solely on my own, which is A Creed for the Ages, The Apostles' Creed, and Today's Christian. And then Jewelry. You can click and buy a link to support us through purchasing jewelry. You go there, you click the link, access code LOVE, 25% of all the purchases go towards Deeper Barters. And also, if if you can't contribute financially, yeah, it's just word of mouth. Tell people about the show, and go on iTunes, and please leave a positive review. I love seeing those iTunes reviews. They're so wonderful, and those of us in ministry, we need encouragement. You, you don't realize it, but we do. Now, Walt, do you have an organization or something that you'd like to see people donate to? No, you know, I'm a, a sole supporter of this. Uh, people, I have a donate button on my website at sexchangeregret.com, and if people like the work I'm doing, uh, I, I do need donations because I travel throughout the world. So uh, it's through book sales and donations. I am not a 5013C. It is not a tax-deductible donation. It's just a gift. Mm-hmm. Uh, to keep me uh, flowing. Uh, I I have found that people who have tried to do a 501 that do the work I do uh, have a great deal of trouble as uh, some of them had with uh, in the past with the government uh, slamming them shut. So I'm just out here solo doing the best I can to get the message out. And I, I think with the bathroom law, I want to make one more point about it is that, you know, I think uh, there should be just as much freedom for the heterosexual people who are not confused about their gender to have freedom to go into bathrooms that don't have uh, transgenders uh, or transsexuals or mm-hmm. uh, people who are uh, who just don't like gender. Period. Uh, we sh- those people should have just as much freedom and access. So Obama should come out with another ruling saying. The schools must also have private facilities that say male and female for the people who want to uh, go into those restrooms. And then if they want to have, if you're confused about your gender, um, 
or you're gender defiant, you can put gender defiant on the door and they can use that restroom. If you're transgender or transsexual, you can put that on the door and they can use that restroom. Let's all, let's all have our own bathrooms and not commingle all the madness together in one bathroom. Well, it goes beyond bathrooms here. I'm looking at page four also. There were places that are not to be restricted to male or female anymore, apparently, or social fraternities and sororities and housing and overnight accommodations. And once again, may I remind people that usually men will do anything to get sex, and this has just opened the door entirely. Yeah. yeah I, like I said, um, this is... Um, Total madness, but you know, unfortunately, uh, they're not going to. Uh, even when it goes bad on them, they're going to make excuses and say that, "Oh, it's society's fault. It's this person's mm -hmm. fault." They're never, ever, at any time, ever going to take responsibility for having made a bad decision or a bad edict or tried to blackmail our schools being a bad idea. So mm -hmm. uh, that's unfortunate. I'm wondering what's going to happen also later on these people try to identify as something else so they can get special scholarships and things of that sort. I mean, how can we say no at this point? Well, I think what we're going to have to do is challenge uh, Obama's edict, his blackmail uh, in courts. Uh, mm. I'm not sure that we have uh, sufficient uh, ability to get anything legitimate through our court systems, but I think we have to challenge it, and certainly we need a change in uh, whoever's in the White House that has a better grip on these issues than uh, somebody who I, I call Obama the titular head of the LGBT. I mean, they have LGBT meetings at the White House. He's appointed 250 LGBT activists to his administration, and he even has in his White House staff at the Department of Personnel, a transgender working in the White House. So he's all in for this group. And so um, he's, he's pushing this. Uh, it's a, a very unfortunate thing, I believe, because, and I say this because I'm looking at the suicide rates and the suicide attempt rates for this population. I see nothing in those attempted suicide rates that suggests Changing genders is either effective or a good thing to do. In fact, I put a, a study on my website at sexchangeregret.com that shows uh, 100 inter international studies prove that sex change surgery is ineffective. Mm -hmm. Now, when we, we're talking about what we can do to Obama, a lot of us are wondering, you know, I'm not tackling Obama. I'm just trying to talk to that person on Facebook who's made a post or something like that. And my my concern is that if we start off in saying, well, we're scared about perverts using the bathroom and such, that people automatically say, well, you all think transgender are perverts? That's your big fear and such? Wouldn't it, I, I'm thinking, wouldn't it be a better strategy though, to say what we're doing really is hurtful to the transgenders as well because this is a real problem they've got and we're not helping them with it, we're enabling them. Well, that's right. And that's why I made it clear earlier mm -hmm. when I said the transgenders aren't the ones that are going to be causing the problems in the bathrooms. Right. Right. So, let's suppose 
that one of my listeners does meet someone who's transgender. I mean, like you said, about 0.3% of the population, but it's going to happen to some people. How do you recommend we can talk to someone who's transgender? Well, I think it's important to, as I do, every time I get a letter from somebody or a note where they want to discuss it, I've, I've sat down with them, sat across the table at Starbucks from them, and what I do is, is begin to talk about their early childhood. I begin to discuss what their early life was like, and uh, whether it's during the first meeting, second or third or fourth or fifth meeting, uh, or email, uh, what they finally disclose is they begin to disclose that something happened to them that was unpleasant, whether it was a broken home, uh, whether uh, a parent died, or maybe their parents were drug addicts or alcoholics, or they were like a letter I got two days ago, the child was sexually abused by the babysitter. Uh, they're, they're usually 100% uh, of the time of the people that I talk to. Now, this doesn't include all transgenders. I want to make that clear. 100% of the people who contact me, though, all have some severe childhood issue that they can point to that caused them, listen to what I'm going to say, that caused them to not want to be who they are, and so they spend the rest of their life trying to dissociate from who they are because that person felt that pain to try to become someone who they're not. So that's why many transgender, transsexual people are suffering from a dissociative disorder. If I can bring this back to your own story, something that struck me as odd when I was hearing it was you talk about your grandmother so often, but you never mentioned parents or a grandfather. That struck me as curious. Well, you know, I'm, I was focusing on the events. My father, when he found out that I had been cross-dressed by my uh, grandmother, he was mortified, and, and so he began to apply a little bit heavier discipline on me because, frankly, he was scared. He didn't know what to do, mm -hmm. and, and I totally understand that. I mean, yeah. uh, this, this was something that was completely out of his spectrum of understanding as it is with the parents today. So, uh, you know, all he could think to do was try to make a man out of me, but Grandma had already done the damage. Mm -hmm. And and uh, Grandpa was a truck, truck driver, a tow truck driver, so he was gone most frequently. He, was, uh, he had lost a leg uh, on a train accident. A train actually rolled over his leg and cut his leg off. Mm. And so uh, he had one leg, but he was able to drive a tow truck. Hmm. And uh, so he was a tow truck driver, and um, he was gone most of the time, and that's when Grandma did the cross-dressing. In the book, uh, The Secret at Grandma's House, uh, it talks about that whole story and how that uh, came to be. Okay, I was kind of wondering if you had had absentee parents or not, since you didn't mention them. So no, my parents were there. It's in, it's mm -hmm. in the book. Okay. Now, when you talk about talking to these people who... You go back and ask, talk about their childhood and such. You know, a lot of people when they encounter transgender people, people they won't want to just say, "Okay, let's sit down and talk about our feelings immediately." No, 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 no. What no, should no. we do? Yeah, no, no. You sit down and get to know them. You, you, yeah. you want to talk to them and mm -hmm. and and befriend them and and not accuse them of anything. Not tell them that they're perverts or that they're doing this on purpose or whatever. Get to know who yeah. they are. Find mm -hmm. out uh, what caused them. I, I think it's so important 
to to want to know why they don't want to be who they really are mm-hmm. and and uh, the 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 people are suffering now yeah. i i think this group is a, a group who really suffers mm-hmm. i don't think the militant uh, gender defiant group uh, are are suffering at all i think they're mm-hmm. just anarchists uh, who just want to completely revamp gender identity and and obama's given them the key to the washrooms to do it yeah yeah, I'm thinking about when I was in Bible college, and to talk about a different group, we had a counseling class, and one of the classes involved an example of counseling a homosexual. And one of the things our teacher told us is that if you encounter someone who's a homosexual, if they're a man, the best thing you can do is get them in touch with other men and have them treat them just like one of the guys and vice versa if they're a woman. And I remember when I worked at a department store once, there was a, someone who was a homosexual, and I was going on my lunch, and he said, hey, I'm going on lunch too, why don't we go together? Sure, okay. You know, I know people could have made all sorts of rumors and jokes if they wanted to and such, since I was perpetually single back then. But I said, I don't care what people say. All I'm doing is I'm going out and I'm having lunch the friend and I'm treating him like one of the guys and he knows I'm a follower of Christ and I'm not going to bring up anything I'm just going to treat him like one of the guys and mm-hmm. it's it, that's the same kind of thing that we should also be doing with transgenders right and I think it's important for the audience to know um, in the, the people that I've worked with over the last 10 years 98% of them are not homosexual okay uh, most Transgenders and transsexuals that I work with are people who are not struggling with a sexual issue. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me, they're struggling with an identity of gender issue, and uh, they're they still, after they change genders, still want to have uh, uh, identity that's heterosexual. Uh, and most of them, uh, as it was with myself, never engaged in any sexual activity. Uh, love making or engaged in any petting or anything of any kind uh, during the time that they uh, were transgender. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, when you were growing up and while you were cross-dressing and things like that, and it was still getting married wasn't too big of a shock because you were still authority attracted to women, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And that might make sense because I know of people who do say they struggle with gender dysphoria, and they talk about their love from a person of the opposite sex at right. the same time. Yeah, that's because it's a gender issue and not a sexual issue. Mm-hmm. It's not not about same-sex attraction. Mm-hmm. It's about not being attracted to the gender that God assigned you and is trying to find out what it is that is causing them to not want to be who they are. And so it is in some ways like looking at your body and... It, I mean, we, we know a lot of people can store their self-image and say, I hate my body, I hate the way I look. But this is just going way beyond that, saying not just, I hate my body, maybe I should lose a few pounds or such, but rather, I hate my body, I hate it so much, I hate this gender entirely. Well, let, let, me, let me give just one example. If, uh, if a young boy was sexually abused by a male who used his um, genitalia to do harm to that boy, then the one thing the boy is going to do is hate his male genitalia. He's going to want to take it off. And 
so all of a sudden we have a, a child who no longer wants his genitalia because uh, someone abused him with their male mm -hmm. genitalia. Yeah. I have seen these cases myself. Mm -hmm. Now, if someone's wanting to get some more help, though, it could be very difficult because nowadays if you go to a counselor and you're struggling and you want to get rid of homosexual attractions, for instance, and they'll say, well, your problem is you want to get rid of these. You know, you should keep this. This is who you are. And a lot of them could think a lot of counselors are going to do that for a transgender and say, well, you know, we just got to help you get your hormone therapy and things of that sort. Yeah. How can they find, if they want to find a counselor in their area, what can they do? Well, that is a really, really, really tough thing because many of the states uh, don't allow people to seek out uh, therapists that can help them not be homosexual, not be transgender. So um, I, I think... Uh, there has to be, there are many Christian uh, groups and therapists around the country um, mm. that probably offer that, and I, I, uh, I know of some, but I, people have to go seek out their own therapy and find someone. I, I strongly suggest people interview a therapist before they begin engaging with them to see what their therapist ideology is about how to help them. Mm -hmm. Now, we as Christians... How do you think we can best think you know, about showing Christ? Because, you know, we, we want to be loving and gentle to people, but at the same time we have to eventually get to a point and say, I'm sorry, but you are believing something very, very wrong about yourself. And, I mean, I know that people take judge not out of context, but there is a way we can be loving in our judgment. How do we go about doing this? Well, I, I detailed that in my book, uh, Transgender's Faith, and because it's fairly complex, I suggest they get the book, and then I also wanted to buy the book because it helps me keep my ministry flowing. So uh, there's a great chapter in there, and it's called uh, Ministering to Scary People. So it'll, it'll help them know how to do that. And what would you say about people who are very, well, first off, I would tell you, there you are. I just went on Amazon and looked. It's twelve ninety nine for the paperback of that book, and four ninety nine if you want the Kindle version. Right. What would you say people should do right now who are kind of scared about seeing all this happening and saying we we really don't like the way our country is going now, but we just don't know what to do? Well, I think it's real critical to use your vote to make sure mm -hmm. that we get people who have uh, like minded views about these issues um, and I think it's really important for us to uh, have huge prayer groups and begin mm -hmm. to join together and, and pray about these issues uh, and uh, you know so I do what I call fireside chats with uh, some churches and and uh, so I think sometimes we just need to sit down and begin to sort of collect ourselves around the power and grace of Jesus Christ and understand our job is to love transgenders. It's God's job to change them, not ours. Mm -hmm. I really like all of that, especially the idea that churches need to be talking about this. And just a, a week ago from Thursday, we were at our own small group, and lo and behold, we started talking about the transgender issue because my wife was talking about how much she was struggling because she's trying to talk to her friends on Facebook. She says they're all young and they've all bought into this whole stuff. And... Mm -hmm people can be very rude with that kind of thing and so we talked about the whole issue right yeah it's it's a tough issue and what many young people today are calling themselves transgender when in fact they're really not 
Yeah. Uh, right now, what we're we're cultivating is a group of uh, people who it's popular to be transgender. I mean, they're getting more attention. Yeah. Just like my grandmother gave me as a female, transgenders are getting more attention than anybody else on the planet today. Mm -hmm. So it becomes very attractive. I mean, we've got Bruce Jenner on the cover of magazines. We're popularizing mm -hmm. and encouraging people to change genders. It's total madness, my friends. Mm -hmm. Well, Walt, we've had a really good time here, and I think this has been a very important discussion in light of recent events and such. If people want to find out more about you, find out how they can get in touch with you, things like that sort, do you have a blog or website where they can get in touch with you? Yeah, the, the main uh, website is sexchangeregret.com, and my blog has got tons of research information on it that mm -hmm. is, shows uh, the research studies that prove transgenders are not born transgender. Mm -hmm. as the brain studies that show they're not born with a brain defect and all the other things that are in there tons of information uh, that you can it take it'll take you a while there's probably 60 or 70 posts in there about the research yeah well do you have any uh, final words you'd like to leave today for the world's audience no i i'm glad i had the opportunity to be on here please do consider uh, going to my website and uh, providing some support uh, this is a critical time and we all need to join together and, and I need to continue keeping my voice out there so I appreciate being on today. Thank you. And hopefully we'll see you back here again sometime. You bet. Anyway, I'd like to remind everyone that next week E. Chadwick Ford here is going to be on. We're going to be talking about his book, The Chosen People. For now, I am Nick Peters and I am signing off.